So, it may be helpful to know as we begin here in this time of our message this morning, it might be helpful to know one of my great anxieties, one of my great, um, great fears, in, in all seriousness. And that is that one day when, when I stand before God, I will see fully all the missed opportunities of my life. I will see all, clearly the moments where, where God provided a, an encounter, an experience, or God opened something to me that I just didn't see. I'm talking about missed opportunities um, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. I'm talking about missed opportunities as a, as a pastor. I'm talking missed opportunities as a parent or a husband. I mean, just those things in life where you could have done or, or embraced a moment that, that I just, I let miss or I let slip by. And, and I share that to start because that's the, the thought that... that drove me, if you will, to, to the passage that we're going to read this morning. We're going to continue in Ephesians. If you were here last week, um, we, were, we were also in Ephesians, the end of chapter 4, the beginning of, of chapter 5, and we're going to carry into chapter 5 this morning, but it's that, that, that drive, that desire to make um, the most of the opportunities that God gives that, that kind of pulled me to, to the passage that Paul writes to the church. So I want to I get into that right away this morning. It's just five verses. And it's there at the end of Ephesians 5. And this is Paul's instruction to the church. This is what he says. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And here's the phrase that, that just stuck with me. Making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak in these moments, that, that our hearts would be open to your word and to, to the truth that you would speak into our lives about making the most of the opportunities you give us. Bless these moments, these opportunities, through the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm actually, I'm actually excited about this sermon for a reason that is a little different than sometimes I'm, I'm excited for, for other sermons. Um, usually in the, the process of preparation before Sunday, um, by about Saturday, Saturday's my lock-in day. When I say lock-in day, that's the day the sermon gets locked in. There's the day I can't add anything more. I can't tweak anything more. I've got to lock that in so I can get that sucker in my head so I can stand before you and try to share something that has a semblance of, of cohesiveness. But I, I will tell you, I, I, I'm coming into the message this morning and I haven't yet locked it in. 
And, and this is why. Every time I've done, gone for that step, that place, God's changed something. Every time, it's become different. I don't oh, know. So, so I'm excited because normally, I've heard the sermon two or three times at the time I preach it to you. But it's going to be brand new for me as well. So I have no idea where we're going. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I'm going to hear it for the first time right now as well. To an extent. To an extent. Now, five names. Cornelius Vanderbilt. John D. Rockefeller. Um, J.P. Morgan. Um, Henry Ford and Andrew Carnegie. Rockefeller, Carnegie, um, Vanderbilt, Morgan, and Ford. These are five of the names of the men who are dubbed. Um, in fact, History Channel did a, a, a kind of a documentary series on them a few years ago and dubbed them the men who built America. Through the, they're really titans of industry. They're the ones who, who gave birth to, to what became kind of modern um, American industry, steel industry, oil industry, railroads, uh, certainly automobile, and J.P. Morgan is a financer and, and electricity and his work with Edison. These, these men who, who had such a profound impact on the shaping of the, of the country. And, and I start with him and I lift them up to you, not necessarily, certainly not because they became wealthy. Not, not because of their wealth. I'm not lifting them up necessarily because of their outstanding moral character, because that was often in question. But, but because they are the, I think, a, a wonderful example in a business sense of, of men who saw an opportunity and seized it. Who saw an opportunity before them and, and were willing to step out and to do what they saw needed to be done to, to be successful. There's one of the, the stories that was, was in this series that really stood out to me, uh, dealt with Rockefeller when he was building Standard Oil, which became this great monopoly, or at least seen as a monopoly, if, well, it was. It controlled, it controlled all oil, practically. Uh, but when he was building that empire, uh, you know, all the oil was transported on the railroads. And so he had a lot of control over railroads. So they, some of the railroad companies tried to start squeezing him so that he'd have to pay more to transport the oil. And that you know, would cut into the bottom line, would make him less successful. It was this moment of, of potential economic crisis, if you will. And in that, and they kind of dramatized this, they show him just standing looking at pipes. They had small, short pipelines in the day that would transport the oil from the place it was... Um, you know, to the refineries, four or five miles. And he saw not the obstacle, but he saw the opportunity. And what he recognized was that if he could build pipelines, he didn't need the railroads. And thus was really birthed what we know, regardless of how you feel about it, of, of modern oil pipelines that go oil from place to place so that it can be processed, so that it can be turned into the, to the product that we need to run so much of, of you know, the, the, the machinery, if you will, that, that we live on. But it was that moment of, of seeing opportunity that was so significant for me. And I thought, that's, that's the kind of, kind of person I want to be, not in, a, not in a business sense necessarily, but in a, in a spiritual sense. Is that, Lord, help me to see the opportunities 
that you place before me, not the obstacles. That was, that was the moment. Rockefeller saw an opportunity, not necessarily an obstacle. And I thought in a spiritual sense, that's, that's who I want to be. That's who I think we're supposed to be. Because we know that we'll have obstacles in life. We know that we're going to face challenges in life. We know life is hard at times. But, but how do we learn how to see opportunity? How do we learn to do what Paul says right here in that, that key verse, going back to it, very simply, very succinctly, verse 16, make the most of every opportunity. That's what he says to the church. He says, in fact, he describes that as being wise. He says that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is making the most of the opportunities that God gives you. Making the most of the opportunities God gives you. See, we often think of wisdom as is the accumulation of knowledge or the accumulation of experience. But that's not what wisdom is. If that was the case, then the oldest person would always be the wisest person. And that may be true, but it's not always true. If that was true, the person who has the highest academic advancement, the accumulation of knowledge would be the wisest person. And I can tell you, I know that's not always true. And I, I can be an embodiment of that. So not that I have the highest, but, but, but we know those things aren't true. But wisdom is, is the application of experience. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to discern and see how those things can be best used. How you can put them into, into practice, if you will. Uh, Solomon. In 1 Chronicles chapter 3, in, in 2 Kings chapter 1, if you know that story of King Solomon, remember, God asked, what do you want? Basically said, what is it I can give you? Do you remember what Solomon asked for? Wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom. But if you go back and read, and if you know the Hebrew or even in the translations, wisdom actually is a discerning heart. That's what he asks for. He says, I ask for a discerning heart. Because a discerning heart is the heart that says that the wisdom that I have, I know how to apply it. I know how to use it in a way that is, um, that is beneficial. And so wisdom doesn't always look the way that we think it's going to look. There's a story told of a, of, a, of a man who was described by people in his village, in his town, as they called him, they called him the village idiot. You know, the, the opposite of, of wisdom. And they would mock him and they would make fun of him. One of the things they would do just to show how dumb he was is every day they'd walk up to him and they'd, they'd show their friends or they'd do this little exercise and they'd put out a, they'd, they'd offer him a dime or a nickel. And they'd say, pick whichever one you want. And every time he took the nickel, every time, and they'd laugh at him and they'd talk about how dumb he was. Years later, somebody asked him, you really don't know the difference? And he's like, no. It's like, I know the difference between the dime and the nickel. He's like, but as soon as I take the dime, the joke's over and they're going to stop offering. <laughs> he said, the way I did it, I got a nickel every single day. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. That's the application of, of knowledge. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. It's because we begin to learn how life works. I mean, that's what experience teaches us. It teaches us kind of some of the, the, the practical realities of life. That's what the, 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 um, uh, the attaining of knowledge does. It begins to help us learn how to apply things. How life and the world and God works in the midst of everything. It, it becomes, it becomes uh, 
part of our spiritual connection. Growing in wisdom is our spiritual connection to the architect of life because God's the one who knows. God put it together. God knows how life works, and that's really, really important. Uh, you know, Henry Ford talked about him at the very beginning. There's a story uh, that from, from when he was developing Ford Motor Company, and he asked this brilliant electrical um, engineer, Charlie Steinmetz, to build his generators. He said, would you build my generators? And so he did. And he built these generators, and then Ford had uh, repairmen in his plants that would then kind of try to fix them if they broke down. Well, one day one of the generators broke, and they just couldn't get it fixed. The repairman couldn't figure it out. So he called Steinmetz in, and Steinmetz came in, and within a few hours he had the whole thing running smoothly. A few weeks later, Ford gets the bill, billed for $10,000. Now, Ford was notoriously tight. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, cheap if you want to say. I was going to be nicer. And so he was indignant, and so he wrote him. He said, how can you justify $10,000 for, for tinkering with a generator? And he said, oh, no, no, it was only $10 for tinkering. It was $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. You know, and that's the application. That's that's wisdom knowing that because he was the architect. He was the designer, if you will. So he knew what the repairman did. He knew how everything fit together. And so when one thing was down, he knew how to work in such a way to to apply that. Now, we're not the architect. We're not the author of life, but we're invited into a relationship with the author of life. That allows us to, to have a deeper wisdom, not, not of our own, but through the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. That helps us to begin to, to live wisely, to make the most of, of every opportunity. And so I, I started to think about that. I started to think about it in relation to this text. How do I, if, if I'm troubled, if my concern and some of that anxiety that I shared with you at the beginning is that I'm missing opportunities... What do I need to deepen in my, my faith, in my life, in my walk, so that that's fewer and fewer moments, that that's um, less, less an experience or a less of a, of a reality. And um, the first is this. We keep our eyes on Christ. We, we keep our eyes on Christ. And we start to kind of see this. It says, Therefore, do not be foolish... But understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is. Now, now that's a pretty deep statement. Well, how do we begin to do that? I believe that what we begin to do is we keep, well, not even begin, we walk in a relationship with Christ. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because Jesus is the revelation of God's will. Jesus is, is God incarnate. So if we want to know what, what it looks like to live in a, in a life that, that, that pleases God, that lives into the will of God, we begin to model our life in the example of Christ. And, and Paul's been talking to the church in Ephesians 4 and, and in Ephesians 5, Paul's talking to the church about behaviors and practices. Uh, he, he talks about, we talked about this last week, putting off the old self and, and putting on the new. And so he talks about those things which are, are characteristic of that old self, that life outside the will of Christ. He, he talked about anger. He talked about speech that, that tears people down. That was kind of our focus last week. Uh, he talks about um, unwholesome talk and bitterness and malice. Uh, you know, he talks about greed and sexual immorality and obscenity. He talks about all these behaviors that we would categorize as sin. That, that are, are sin, that, that the relationships that begin, or are behaviors that break that relationship we have with God. 
And, and it's sin, and it's important for us to talk about sin and, and why it's important for us to, to, to watch our tongue and why it's important for us to refrain from behaviors that are destructive to ourselves and to others. Sin is important, and, and maybe too often we don't talk about it enough. But it's interesting that peppered there in Ephesians 4 and 5 are some other um, imperatives. And, and these are some of the other things he says. He talks about speaking truthfully to your neighbor. Paul talks about um, sharing with those who are in need, doing useful things with your hands, building others up, being kind and compassionate and forgiving, being imitators of God. And, and as I was reading through that, and I'm looking at kind of this list of don'ts, and I'm now looking at this list of do's, I'm recognizing that the, the list of do's is really just a description of who Jesus was, kind and compassionate, building others up, being useful with your time, and the things that you're called to do. Being a reflection of God. That's who Jesus is. And, and the other thing that started to become very, very clear is that if I'm doing those things, then I am by necessity leaving no room for the, for the don'ts. If I'm, if I'm paying attention to the do's, I don't leave room for the don'ts. Okay? If I'm building other people up with my speech, then how am I speaking maliciously, harmful, or tearing other people down? You can't be doing both of those things. If, if, I am, if I'm useful with my time, with my hands, then I'm not stealing from other people. If I'm speaking grace and, and love, then I'm, not, then I'm not acting in ways that are malice and, and hurtful. And so it became to me very, very apparent that, that the challenge for us is to ask ourselves where we're focused. What do we see before us? And that is, are we keeping our eyes on Christ? Because what happens is, a lot of times if we focus on the don'ts, uh, it's, uh, you know what, it's... It's like watching your feet when you walk or when you run. You ever try running or walking by looking down at your feet to, stay, to see that you're on the path? What happens? Right, you fall, right, you fall down. Even though you may say, well, my intention is to, to run a straight line, so I'm going to pay attention to my feet. And it, you can't do it. What do you do? You've got to focus on the destination. You focus on where you're going. When you focus on where you're going, your path stays straight. When you focus on Christ, the character of Christ, the behaviors of Christ, the character or, or the, the nature of Christ that work within us, our path stays straight. So the cross before us. That's what Paul says. You know, keep the cross before you. Keep your eyes on Christ. So how do we start to live wisely? We keep our eyes on Christ. And here's the second thing. We stay sharp. We stay sharp. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is the admonition against drunkenness. And there are admonitions against drunkenness throughout the Scriptures. There's a lot of discussion on whether alcohol is good or bad. But, but biblically, we don't really have a whole lot of verses that, that, that speak against alcohol in and of itself. We just don't. Now, you may come from a tradition that teaches you shouldn't drink, and that's okay. We can have those conversations, but I'm just telling you, you're not going to be able to go get a lot of scripture that says alcohol in and of itself is bad. But there's no question, scripturally speaking, drunkenness is. The overindulgence of alcohol is a problem, and we know this. Peter, it's in 1 Peter, it's in Galatians, it's in Ephesians, it's in Romans, it's in Proverbs. I mean, it's just, and that's just a few. So, so, so there is this admonition against, against drunkenness. And I started to think, okay, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why. There's not a single reason 
for that. But I started thinking in the context to what Paul's talking about here, why does he include that? Why does that become the sin that he lifts up? I think it goes back to this. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity to what was called a, a drunk driving simulator. I don't know if you've seen these. Sometimes they have them on computers. This is one that they did with cones in a parking lot. And, and the key was to, to, I mean, there was a number of things they did, but they gave you a pair of goggles. And when you put those goggles on, your vision was badly distorted. Things got blurry, things got, I mean, it just, it messed with, it gave you a headache. It messed with you. And it made it impossible to drive a very simple pattern through the cones. I mean, you'd hit cones, you couldn't stay on, you had to keep it really, really slow with, a, with an instructor next to you to keep you from, you know, hitting somebody. But, but the idea was, what was very, very clear was that when you had those goggles on, you had no ability to focus. You had no ability to, to stay on any kind of a path. When we begin to open ourselves up to those things which dull us, which dull us intellectually, spiritually, as an, as an abuse of alcohol will do, we cannot stay focused on Christ. Because you don't think straight. You don't process. I mean, nobody wakes up the day after overindulging in alcohol and goes, gosh, I wonder what smart, intelligent, and bright things I did last night. <laughs> you just you don't. You don't. Nobody. Nobody. There's a lot of stories of the destructiveness stuff. And, and, and you can go and read them. You know, I, I thought about that for a few moments when I was preparing, you know, because I came across some stories that were, that were funny, to tell you the truth, in some ways. And I thought, no, I don't, I don't want to make light of it. I don't, I, it's not funny. It's dangerous and it's destructive. And it, it, it destroys lives and it destroys families. It also destroys relationships with God. Because we open ourselves not to the power of the Spirit at work, but we give ourselves to another power, to, 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 to the drink. And so Paul's warning the church against those things which are going to corrupt our ability to be focused on Christ. Now here's the thing, he talks about drunkenness here. But that may, be, that may not be yours. But you're not off the hook. I'm not off the hook because there's a lot of things that begin to take our eyes off Christ. It certainly can be alcohol or it could be drugs. But you know what? It could be entertainment. Mindless entertainment. Sitting in front of the TVs for hours and hours. I'm not saying TV is bad in and of itself. But it begins to corrupt. And if it begins to, to re redirect your vision, it's a problem. Or, or computer or even books. Anything. Anything that begins to take our eyes off of Christ that begins to dull our vision becomes spiritually dangerous. Paul says, stay sharp. That's why drunkenness becomes the example, because you are not sharp when you've overindulged in alcohol. Stay sharp. Eyes on Christ, stay sharp. And then here's the third. Live gratefully. This is what I talked about in prayer a few minutes ago. Live gratefully. The last thing that he says, he talks about worshiping and lifting your hearts to the Lord. He says, always, verse 20, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always give thanks to God for everything. Now, I know how hard that is in life. But what becomes easier is when we are focused on Christ, when we are allowing our vision to be fixed on Him and stay sharp, we begin to see life differently. And what happens is we begin to see God's blessing, not what we think are is God's deficiencies. And when I say God's deficiencies, what I mean is the things God's not doing in our life that we wish God was doing. 
the things that we don't have. It's not that God is deficient in anything, but our vision becomes blurred. And so when we live gratefully, we begin to see the hand of God in all kinds of circumstances. We begin to see the blessing of God in all kinds of places we might not have otherwise looked because our eyes are focused on Christ. Because our vision is sharp and because it changes the way we see things. The story of a man who went to a rabbi one day, just despondent. He said, I can't take it anymore. Life is horrible. And the rabbi said, why? And he said, because there's nine of us and we're all living in one room and we're on top of each other. And they're too close and we just, it's, it's unbearable. And so the rabbi said, okay, I want you to do this. And you have to do this. He said, I want you to go get a goat. And I want you to bring the goat into the room with you. And keep the goat there. And he's like, are you crazy? And the rabbi says, just do it. And so he did. He was obedient. So he went and he brought the goat. A week later, he comes back to the rabbi. The rabbi says, how's life now? He said, it is horrible. It couldn't be worse. That goat is filthy. It is dirty. It's all over the top of us. It's awful. And the rabbi says, fine. Go home and let the goat out. So he did. A week later, he came back to the rabbi. The rabbi said, how's life? He said, oh, life is so good. Life is so good. That goat's out of there. It's just the nine of us. We're enjoying being together. Life couldn't be better. What's different? Perspective. Perspective. Same situation he started with. But all of a sudden he saw things a little differently. He saw the reasons to be grateful rather than to reasons to focus on what he wanted. Paul says to us, what does wisdom look like? What is making the most of your opportunities? Well, being grateful, living a life of gratitude, give thanks in everything. That, that's echoed and peppered throughout the scriptures. Giving thanks because our perspective changes because our eyes are focused on Christ, sharply focused on Christ, and we're moving in a way that allows us to begin to see the opportunities God gives us because we're taking on the character of Christ. We're moving in the direction of Christ, and we're living a life of gratitude for Christ, and that allows us to begin to see things and to be open to the Spirit of God working within us. And I do believe that allows us to more faithfully make the most of the opportunities God gives us. Make the most of the, the, the moments that God gives us to, to bless another person, to speak words of truth, to speak words of love, to, to show compassion and grace, to do the very things that Paul's been talking about for two chapters in Ephesians to the church. Let this flavor your life, that you would have that fragrance of Christ. I love that image, that fragrance of Christ. Making the most of the opportunities. Eyes on Christ. Stay sharp live gratefully. I think if I can embody that, there'll be less of those moments that I'm afraid I miss. And I think what's true for me is true for you. Eyes on Christ, stay sharp, and live grateful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do pray that that would be the direction of our lives. We're